This morning's scripture, Romans 16, 7 through 16. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Trephania and Trephosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Philogon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister, and Olympus, and the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. The Word of God. Let us pray. Most gracious and loving God, Lord, as we look back on Paul's words, Father, Lord, we pray that your Spirit would speak to our hearts that we may be able to take away from this passage, Lord, the love that Paul shared with others in Christ Jesus, the love that he shared with virtual strangers, and he expressed that love to them through this letter, Father. Let us intimate that, imitate that in our lives, Father, so that you may be glorified and we can be closer together as one, as you desire us all to be one in you. And Father, I pray that the words I speak be not of me, but be of you and glorifying unto you. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So last week we looked at a few, uh, the first few of the greetings, and we, as Paul begins to wrap up this most magnificent and marvelous letter, and we're looking at the last portion of um, the greetings this morning. And And as I said, Paul wanted to express the love that he had for all these folks that he mentions. I'm sure it was more than this, but these are just the ones that he included in this letter. And he began with a young lady named Phoebe. And you remember that he was actually commending Phoebe to the church at Rome, that they they didn't really know her. And so you can kind of get that from his writing. He's commending them to her, or to commending her to them, and he's asking that they take care of her, that she was a servant in the Lord, that she was a servant at the church of Sincrea, and that he was asking that they watch after her and watch over her while she was there. And remember that I mentioned Sincrea and where Sincrea was. Sincrea was a city on the eastern shore of Corinth. And you remember what made that very unique to this letter in that Paul was at Corinth when he wrote this letter. So most scholars believe that Paul gave the letter to Phoebe and sent her then to Rome to deliver this letter for him. And so that's why he kind of begins it all with, I'm I'm speaking or I'm vouching for this young lady in the Lord that's a servant and she's done great things in Sincrea, so I'm asking that you watch over her, treat her as a beloved whenever she gets there and provide her with everything that she needs while she's there. Now all these other folks that Paul writes about were actually in Rome. So we had Phoebe going to Rome, 
but Paul writes about all and asks to greet all these other saints that are actually in Rome. Some of them Paul was familiar with. Some of them we have no idea whether he even knew them at all except from what he had heard from others about their acts or actions. We saw at the beginning where two leaders that were very familiar to us when we went through Acts and Prisca and Aquila or otherwise known as Priscilla and Aquila. And you remember that they had a great ministry as husband and wife at that time and they, they were also tent makers. They had a very close relationship with Paul. As a matter of fact, he even said that they risked their neck for him. So they sacrificed their life in courage to try to help Paul. We don't know what the rest of that story is. I trust someday that we will when Paul is, or Priscilla and Aquila are able to catch us up on that. But nonetheless, he mentions them and offers his sincere love for them. And I think that's the overarching theme through this benediction of sorts that we have in, in chapter 16 is just that that great love that Paul has for every believer in Christ, even those that he didn't know. And I talked last week about how we seem to have gotten away from that, that we have that love among each other. I wish it was greater. I think every church wishes that it was greater, but we seem to stop at the door of the sanctuary, right? We, we put up walls and different things to not allow us to reach out to each other, to reach out to other believers and demonstrate our love to them in the way that Paul demonstrates his love to all these wonderful believers that were in Rome at the time that, that he wrote this letter. We have absolutely no reason to believe that there were any type of ulterior motive when Paul wrote this letter. He was just asking the leaders at Rome to let these people know how much he loved them, how much they meant to him. And he didn't love them, and they didn't mean a lot to him necessarily because they did stuff for him. As I said, many of them he never even met. He loved them, and he wanted to greet them, and he wanted to express how much he thought of them for one reason, and it was their devotion to Christ Jesus. That in and of itself sparked that love and that desire to let them know how much he cared for them. How much he wanted the church to, to embrace them and love them and be endearing to them. And you know, as we've gone through the, the Nine Marks book, we've talked a lot about church discipline in that book. But as I said, we have to have that love in order to be able to get to that point because without that love, you don't ever get to that point. And this is the type of love I'm talking about, the type of love that says, he's a believer and I love you because you're a believer, not because you're nice to me or not because you do good things for me. I love you because you love Jesus. And when someone is convinced of that, and you go to them and say, hey, I think you may be walking down the wrong road. How are they going to take it? They know you love them. They're going to say, okay. They're not going to fight back and push back and act like you're trying to harm them. They're going to know that you love them in Christ Jesus and they're going to be receptive to that. All of these folks that Paul has, has invested in Rome, they know that he loves them. I mean, he's taking the time 
after all these chapters and verses and everything that he's done to them, he has taken the time to mention them by name. How do you think that makes him feel? Like, wow. He's talking about me. He's mentioning me. And he doesn't even know me. He only knows what he's been told about the sacrifice that I've made for the church in Rome or that I've made for the cause of Christ or whatever the case may be. That's a huge heart. That's a heart that loves Jesus in a really big way. That's a heart that's number one desire is to find joy in Christ and love those who love Christ. And so I think we can only gain from looking at this and seeing it from that perspective in that we need to not only love others that are in Christ, but show our love to others. Let them know how much we love them and how much we care for them because no matter how much we try, it's only a fraction of how much Christ loves them and cares for them and wants us all to be one in that respect. So we start off in verse 7. Greet Andronicus and Junius, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are outstanding among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. So we have Andronicus and Junius. And we talked about these two last week. They were fellow Jews. They were Paul's kinsmen. But more than that, they were fellow prisoners. And I talked about that a little bit last week. But I I used an example of men and women who served together in war and who had fought side by side. And you have that bond that just stays with you forever. But I want to broaden that a little bit this morning. I don't believe that there is anything in this life or on earth that can bind someone together like suffering. With soldiers, it is that suffering that they're going through together. And I think it's that way for all of us. When we walk through the lowest points in our life and we have somebody beside us walking with us, it binds us together in a way unlike anything else. You can have all the joyful moments on the mountaintop you want. You can celebrate one thing after the next, but there is nothing that is more binding than going through those deep, dark, horrible valleys and struggles in life. That's where the bonding takes place. Yeah, celebrations are good and and happy moments are wonderful. They're gifts from God. But that true bonding moment occurs when it's just you and whoever's right next to you or whatever members of the church or the entire church that are going through something that's really difficult in this life and you get bound together, you get sealed together in a very tight-knit group. Romans 18 tells us that we are children of God if we suffer with Him. Say 18, 8, 16. So when we suffer together, we are bound together amongst ourselves. But when we suffer with God, we are bound closer to Him as well. 
and I would say that most of you can attest, the moments whenever you feel the closest with God is in those deep, dark times in your life where there is no hope at all except Him. And when you get to that other side, you are so much closer to Him than you were before you went through that moment. Now those moments aren't fun, and He tells us not, they're not fun, right? James tells us that nobody likes it. Nobody is able to celebrate in the midst of it, even though he tells us to count it all joy. But it's those moments of suffering. Andronicus, Junius, and Paul, they suffered. And I will tell you that jails at that time didn't have three meals a day, TV, whatever the case may be. It was rough. You didn't eat. It was wet. It was dank. You had disease. You, you're, you're, the chains made sores on your body. You lost limbs. People died in there every day. It wasn't Club Med. And when you suffer in that way, and they were suffering in that way for the cause of Christ, not because they had done something inherently wrong, but it has this bonding moment. And Paul wanted to make sure to give a shout out to Andronicus and Junius because they suffered together. And that had drawn them close. And they were outstanding among the apostles. And they were also in Christ before him. They were in Jesus Christ before he was. So as and at a time that they knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior, he was trying to kill people who knew Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So you see the irony that, that Paul says. I was, at one point in time, I was probably willing to kill Andronicus and Junius. They knew Jesus way before my situation on the road to Damascus. And so he writes to greet them. I want to jump down to verse 16, and then we'll come back up. Greet one another with a holy kiss. He asks the leaders there, encourages the leaders at Rome, greet one another. Greet these people, but then he gets more specific in this last verse. He says, greet each other with a holy kiss. And a holy kiss was very customary to the culture and and to the time. In Luke 7, in Luke 7, Jesus went to a man's house by the name of Simon, Simon the Pharisee. And there was a, a young lady there who anointed Jesus' feet with oil and would kiss his feet. And Simon did not like what was going on. And Jesus turned to Simon and he said, I entered your house and you gave me no kiss. Demonstrating the fact that Simon did not like Jesus, that there was no love in his heart for Jesus at the time. That's why it wasn't strange when Judas approached Jesus on the night of his betrayal and betrayed him with what? A kiss. That wasn't strange. That was a part of culture, a holy kiss. Holy kiss kiss that just says, I love you in Christ. 
Not some type of perversion, not some unholy type kiss, but a holy, pure, righteous kiss. Peter described it as a kiss of love. It was a way of expressing one's love for another that that manifested itself in a physical way. Now, I'm I'm not saying that this type of affection is appropriate in all cultures and for all times. I am saying that we as brothers and sisters in Christ should not be afraid to demonstrate our love for each other in a physical way. Touch. Don't be afraid to demonstrate our love for each other in a physical way. Men, don't be afraid to hug. Where, where's that fear come from of hug? I'm not going to hug. It's not very manly. Well, it demonstrates that we are family if we love each other in that way. Too many times we shake hands and move on. I'm guilty, right? I probably did it before the service with most all of you out here. The world shakes hands. Strangers shake hands. Paul's saying, I want you guys to be above that. Go beyond that. Don't treat each other as if you're strangers and unbelievers on the street. You are believers. You are one in Christ. You share the same spirit. Greet these folks with a holy kiss. I think we should try harder to let each other know how much we love each other what the conditions of our heart really look like. You know, men, we have a hard time with it. But I think we have a hard time with it because it scares us a little bit, right? It scares us a little bit because it allows us or requires us to put ourselves out there, right? To make ourselves look vulnerable. So... In an effort not to make ourselves look vulnerable, then we're not going to do that. So really, what's driving us? Is it a a manly sense of courage or is it a fear? It's a fear. We're scared little boys. We don't want to put ourselves out there and make ourselves look vulnerable, so we say men don't do that. No, men are scared to do that. Courageous, brave men will have no problem of going up, wrapping their arms around somebody and saying, hey, I love you. None. And that's what Paul's asking us to do. Love each other. Let each other know that we love each other. I'm spending all eternity with you folks. Right? Get used to it. Be a church, be a people that loves each other and doesn't care who knows it and is willing to show it in whatever way that we can. Make ourselves vulnerable. I mean, Christ was more vulnerable than we will ever imagine or ever can be. He made himself vulnerable for us all. Verse 8, greet Impliatus. These words are tough, just saying. Greet Impliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Impliatus was a Roman slave name. 
There is a cemetery in Dematia in Rome, and in that cemetery or, or catacombs, there is a tomb, and it is a ra- rather large t- tomb. And it is adorned with different decorations, and people make a lot and have made a lot of that tomb from the time it was there. And here we have Ampliatus, and I don't know that it's the same person, but as I said, Ampliatus was a, a name for a slave. Single names were very unique to the Romans. Usually they had three names, sort of like most of us do. So could it be that a very slave, a lowly slave, was such a big part of the early church that had a great big tomb and he was buried in a huge tomb that was well adorned? Somebody as lowly as a slave could be so much in the church of God. Don't know that, but it could very well be that way. Another theme, we have this idea or notion of love that runs throughout this section, but we also have another theme where he says, Greet Ampliatus, my beloved, he loves them, in the Lord. In the Lord. Paul uses that term ten times throughout this farewell greeting that he gives. In the Lord, he uses it ten separate times. So what does being in Christ have to do with greeting each other? And I've already told you that we share that same spirit. We share a commonality being in Christ. But whenever we refer to the term and we talk about being in the Lord, it reminds us of something. And I think Paul was explicitly reminding all of the readers that they were all in the Lord. It reminds us that at one time in our lives we stood on the very precipice of hell. And we looked over into this eternal, hot, burning, volcanic fire that was for eternity. And then by God's grace and according to his sovereignty, he reached down, he condescended to us and pulled us out. We have been rescued. Those that are in the Lord have been rescued from an eternity eternity in hell. And I think Paul wanted to remind us of that here so that we, we don't forget that. That there is now therefore no condemnation in us who are in Christ Jesus. Too often we allow ourselves to grow cold to that reality. We should remember the truth that we have been saved every day. And from what we have been saved. And if we do that, I think it gives us a little different perspective. We wake up every morning and think, you know, I was indeed bound for hell, but Christ pulled me back. He held me out of it, and He has set me on solid ground for all eternity. Anyone ever seen any rescues take place on TV? Probably have, right? Whether it be somebody that's adrift at sea, and you see the Coast Guard come in and rescue them. 
coal miners, you know, you see when coal miners get trapped and they drill a tunnel down and they, they rescue these coal miners out. What happens when these people that have been rescued comes out and sees everybody? They hug them. Exactly right. They don't care who you are. They're going to hug their necks off. Embrace each other. They hug everybody that they can see. Why? Because they're so excited that they've been saved from the very face of death. That they've looked death in the eye and they've escaped its grips. Greet one another with a heavenly kiss. We have escaped eternity in hell. That should excite us. We should be willing to hug each other and celebrate that every single day. If we don't feel a weak need sense of being rescued and an eternal gratitude for that, it's probably because we don't feel deserving of hell. If you don't feel like you've stood on the precipice of hell and looked at it and Christ has pulled you back from it, you don't think you deserved it in the first place. Pretty good girl, pretty good guy, right? It's what we think of ourselves if we can't see that. And we're not grateful and thankful for that at all times. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and Stasic, my beloved. Greet Apelles, the approved in Christ. This is beautiful. Apelles, approved in Christ. The word approved comes from the Greek word dokimos or, or dokime. Can you imagine what Apelles must have felt like when he read these words? You, you read these words. The Apostle Paul, this is Paul writing, and he says that, that, that I'm approved. In Christ. We see this word dokime or dokimos in Peter and James when he's talking about the testing of your faith, right? You're you're tested by fire and it's a way that they have of refining and purifying gold that you heat it up and all the impurities float to the top, the dross, and that is cleared off and at the end of it all you've got is pure gold and that's what's behind this word dokime, this testing or being approved and that's what he's talking about Apelles. That he has been tested through fire and he has been found to be approved in Christ. If that's not a goal for every one of us, we should have no goals. No greater words can be spoken about an individual human being than what Paul says about Apelles. That he has been tested and he has been improved in Christ Jesus, purified as gold. Greet those of the household of Aristobulus. And we don't know whether Aristobulus is alive. Maybe he died and this is his household. Or quite frankly, maybe he wasn't a believer at all, but those in his household were believers. But nonetheless, Paul wants to greet those in that household. Greet Herodian, my kinsman. So very likely that Herodian was Related to Herod the Great in some way, we know that he was also a Jew. So Paul wanted to extend greetings to him as well. And Narcissus, 
Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Again, don't know that Narcissus was alive or dead, or if he was alive, he was an unbeliever, but just to send greetings to those who are in the household. Greet Tryphaena and Tryphosa. Anybody has twins? There you go. They were both ladies. They were workers in the Lord. Trephana and Tryphosa means little and dainty. But they did great work for the cause of Christ and for his church. Persis, also a lady's name. Paul says, the beloved. Now this is a lady. So Paul's watching how he plays this out, right? So if you go back... If you go back, he'll say, my beloved to the men, and yet he uses the word, the beloved for the females. So he even is careful with how he refers to the ladies. Greet Persis, the beloved, I love her in Christ, who has worked hard in the Lord. Verse 13, greet Rufus, a choice man, chosen in the Lord, also his mother and mine. So Paul refers to Rufus as being chosen in the Lord. Some scholars make way too much about a choice man in the Lord or chosen by the Lord than, than what should be what I think should be made here. I think Paul's just trying to to mix it up a little bit, add variety to his writing so he doesn't just repeat the same thing sixteen times. So he refers here to Rufus being chosen. All of these folks are chosen. We know that. We've been through that. But he refers to Rufus here as being chosen, I think, just out of um, writing and variety that is created in that writing. There's something else about Rufus, though. Anyone remember where we've heard of Rufus before? No? In Mark 15, 21, Jesus is on his way to the cross. And he's carrying that cross. And that cross became too heavy. He simply couldn't go any further. And a gentleman by the name of Simon the Cyrene helps him carry that cross. And Mark tells us that Simon the Cyrene was the father of Alexander and Rufus. So Rufus's father carried the cross of Christ. How cool is that? So you say, well, it could have been another Rufus, and it certainly could have been. However, we know that Mark wrote his gospel with the Romans in mind, with an eye to Rome whenever he wrote that gospel. Thus, And he was actually in Rome whenever he penned it. So by saying or referring to Simon the Cyrene as the father of Alexander and Rufus, Alexander and Rufus would have been well known to those in Rome at the time. We have no idea whether Alexander was ever a believer or not, but we certainly know something about Rufus here. So I'm pretty well convinced that this is the same Rufus whose father carried the cross of Christ. He also references Rufus's mother. It's not Paul's mother. We don't know anything about Paul's mother. It's my own thought and belief that he spent some time with Rufus's mother to the extent that he looked at her as his own 
and referred to her at times as his own mother. Greek, Asyncritus, Phlogon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermes, and the brethren with him. We don't know really much at all about these last few saints that Paul mentions, only that Paul found love for them and a desire to have the Roman church greet them, greet Philogus and Julia and Nurus, his sister, and Olympus and all the saints who are with him. And then we finally, again, as we've covered this, we see Paul close with this desire or to greet each other with more than just a, Paul says hi, or more than just a simple handshake. Let them know you love them. Let them know I love them. Let them know that I care about them, that that they're doing great things for the cause of Christ, and that exhibits in Paul a desire to demonstrate great love from them. I think we should emulate that. We don't have to go around kissing each other. It's not what I'm saying. Not at all. But I'm saying we need to make sure each and every one of us knows how much we mean to each other through the cause of the cause of Christ. We should make sure that everybody knows that. That every believer knows how much and how special they are to me, to you, to the church as a whole. There's never any doubt. These people knew how much Paul loved them because he demonstrated it to them and he was able to to show them that. There was never any question about that. Greet each other in the ways that shows gratefulness to have once been standing on that precipice of hell and to be rescued by God's grace and his mercy. And understand and know that we were once looking at eternity in hell. And that's what we deserve. Yet that's not what we got. Because of Christ Jesus. May we love one another as believers in Christ. Like Paul loved his fellow believers. Amen. Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we stand in awe as we see the love that Paul had for those that he had never met, for those that he had met. The love that you share, the love that can only come from you. Lord, as fellow Christians in Christ Jesus, help us to have that heart. Help us to have that love and that desire to let everyone know how much we love them, how much we care for them. Not because of what they do or say or help for us as individuals, but because of who they are in you. Let us love in a beautiful, pure, righteous, selfless way, Father. And let us practice that every day to where there are no doubts as to the depths of the love that we have for each other and the love that we have for you. Father, it's going to take courage. We pray that you give us the courage to do it. We pray that you make us, or you give us the ability to be vulnerable, even when we don't want to be. And Father, we know that in and through that, you will be glorified. And we thank you 
For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.